Welcome back to the Hottest Take Sports Podcast presented by Sim Sports. This is your host, John Ashkar, and today I have Jack Vandemata with me again. What it do, baby? Thank you all for listening to our last podcast. We really appreciate the support. If you like the beat to start off our podcast today, you can find it in the link in the description below. Also, if you're interested in sending us a beat of your own, we'll find the best one to put at the start of our podcast. So anyways, let's talk about the Browns, Jack. The Browns are big this year. Very popular and all in the news. As uh, Cleveland fans, obviously everyone knows the hype around the Browns um, and what they can be on paper. But um, It's really taking over. But yeah, but there's a lot of things. There's a lot of factors, especially with all these new pieces. There's a lot of factors that um, obviously are going to have to fit and kind of you know work together well mm-hmm. in order for this to be successful. Like new pieces, young players. Exactly. There, there's a lot of like experience. New, new players too. From you know, trades, drafting. Right. And I would like to think that this is just going to go smoothly and the bias in me. Uh, just, you know, would we're going 16-0. But, but I know that's not a realistic. Every team has, you know, comes across roadblocks throughout the season. They have their and, ups uh, and downs. Exactly. And even the, the New uh, England Patriots. Even the New, the New England Patriots. And we're just going to discuss a couple of those things. Um, so, Jack, what are your top three biggest factors for success for the Browns this year? Um, in no particular order, uh, the defensive line is a huge thing for me. Why? Um, defensive line is important for me for a couple reasons. First of all, the Browns' defensive line was very bad last year. Um, and there were bright spots. Miles Garrett's obviously a great player. Larry Ogunjobi kind of, you know, busted out, busted out a little bit. Um, but overall we gave up 4.75 yards per carry. Not great. We had a 28th ranked run defense. 28th rate run defense. Everyone knows that. And I think that's a huge factor to our defense this year. And I think that's something, you know, it's fun to talk about all the flashy weapons on offense with Baker and Odell and all Or that. even the flashy off, uh, players on defense that we've acquired. Right. But I am but I think, you know, the defense hasn't been talked about enough. And even Freddie Engine has mentioned that. Um, that's a huge, huge key to our success this year. And if we cannot stop the run, that's we're going to get eaten on that. We're going to get eaten up every single game, and that's going to really hurt us throughout the season. I definitely agree. The defensive line's huge for us this year, especially with our young talent like Miles Garrett and Ogunjobi. You're looking for Garrett, who's super young, to lead, and then you're looking for veterans like Olivier Vernon to step in and take a big role in the defense. Uh, Or Sheldon Richardson, too. Don't forget him. He's also going to be a huge factor in the defensive line's success. To that point... um, we got a lot of new guys. We were talking about the new guys. We got a lot mm-hmm. of new guys on the defensive line. Uh, Vernon comes from the Giants. Um, you know, a lot of Giants fans were actually happy to see him leave for a couple of reasons. He's, you know, he's an injury concern. He's an injury um, prone and his salary cap issues. And honestly, a lot of people said he hasn't been playing up to the to the level of his contract. Seventeen million dollars um, a year. It's top thirty in the league for contracts. With that said, I give him the benefit of the doubt because he's facing um, really hard. He was, fa- he was facing the best no, in the le- league. Left tackles. Left yeah. tackles, he was, that's what I meant. He, he's in the AFC East. So PFF, according to them, the Eagles have the number one offensive line in the league. The Cowboys have the number three offensive line in the league. And those teams are both in the AFC East. Exactly. So and he, he doesn't have any help around him. Exactly. Now he has Miles Garrett to take off so pressure. He's you getting can, double teamed. So you could have dudes. two guys double teaming him that are on the best offensive line in the league. And PFF actually ranked him the seventh best uh, defensive, defensive end. end right behind Miles Garrett last year. With that, I think absolutely he could break out if he can stay healthy and improve. And 
I think the defensive line with, would be great. With less pressure on him, too. With less pressure, because he's not going to be that number one go Who do you think the guy. biggest addition on the line is, though? Sheldon Richardson, for sure. Um, we definitely needed that depth at the defensive tackle position. Uh, Larry Ogunjobi's great, but he hasn't necessarily shown that he's a superstar yet. I, I, I love him, but... Um, and I honestly, I think that was the weakest point of our line last last season. I think the two stars off the end will be great, and I think that'll be awesome to watch. A lot of sacks and stuff, but uh, really, when it comes to stopping that run, the defensive tackle position is huge. And I think Sheldon Richardson. The Sheldon Richardson was fit. definitely the biggest off season acquisition on the defensive line, next to Olivia Vernon. But. If you read my first article on Sib Sports, the first person I highlighted that I thought the Browns should sign was Sheldon Richardson. One, just because he's so good with the run, and that's what the Browns were really bad with last year. So if he can come in and make an immediate impact, you can really see the Browns start pressing a lot with their corners and playing like a lot more aggressive. Yeah. All right, so we'll switch off. Let's. I'm going to ask you now, uh, what is your number one factor to the Browns' success next season? My number one factor to the Browns' success next year is Baker Mayfield. And you could say, why Baker Mayfield? He had a great rookie season. I don't think anyone's saying, why Baker Mayfield? It's very obvious. Everyone knows There's the importance of the quarterback. I mean, we're both diehard Baker Mayfield fans, too. Right. But, okay, Baker Mayfield, he played one season. So I'm not. Don't get me wrong. I love Baker Mayfield. I'm not hating on him right now. I'm just speaking off my mind. Baker Mayfield has played in the league for what, 12 games? Started 12 games? 13. Started 13 games. Teams didn't have schemes for him. Teams weren't used to the offense and he was just new and fresh and it that's always something that's dangerous whether you're playing in the NFL, you're pitching in the MLB or you're a point guard in the NBA. So Baker really really has to just come back strong. And that's why I think it's the biggest thing. He's the obvious leader on our team. He's the leader of who scores points. And, I mean, he's running this offense with all of these personalities and players. So I think he definitely has the biggest load this year. Totally right. Um, he definitely is the ringleader of all those personalities. He has to be. I mean, the quarterback position is obviously the most important, especially in today's NFL with all the passing. Um but here's the thing. So you, you're totally right with the fact that he has to come back strong and prove that. I think you know, he has to come back stronger than last year. Oh, for sure he has to come back stronger. But, you know, he as a rookie, you know, he set the record for the t- uh, 27 touchdowns. And he was, I think, sixth in passing yards as a rookie out of all quarterbacks um, in NFL history. And not to mention that he only started 13 games. And ha- some of those games were under Hugh Jackson that we didn't even mention. Oh, came back oh, in. Man. Oh, no. Oh, no. <laughs> Okay, we'll get to that after. <laughs> right, we'll right, get to that. Thank you. <laughs> um, yes. Uh, but um, but Baker definitely has to take a step forward this year. Become that, you know, take that next level. Take that Patrick Mahomes jump almost, you know, to superstardom rather than just from a rising star. So Yeah, and part of it I also think is Freddie Kitchen's new offense that was also implemented after uh, the Hugh Jackson firing. So teams are going to be able to scheme for Baker and for Freddie Kitchen's offense. So I think those two have a really vital role in working together and try to create some new looks and some new plays just to keep everyone on their toes, you know? Yeah, I agree. Um, so you want to talk about your second? So my second 
uh, factor to success is Freddy Kitchens. Well, we both have Freddy Kitchens at number two. Sure. So let's talk um, about Freddy. So Freddy Kitchens. Um, as a precedent, I just want to say I totally believe in Freddy Kitchens, and I, I don't I under, totally understand why people are doubting him, but out of what I've seen and out of what we saw last year, I think he's completely equipped to, to take on the role. I think he's the best personality to deal with all these personalities. He's down to earth. He tells it like it is, and I think he'll be a great, you know, you know, yeah, he, I, he, he's going to be a great fit. So Freddie Kitchen started as the Browns running back coach right. last year, and that's now filled by the notorious Stump Mitchell. Um, and then he went to the offensive coordinator role, and now he's the head coach. So first, in John Dorsey, we trust. I believe that John Dorsey did make the right pick by bringing in an inside guy who knows all the players and who worked so well with Baker Mayfield. But also, Freddie just has a positive attitude. He doesn't let anything go by his head. And he just obviously knows what he's doing. He played quarterback at Alabama. He's been involved with football his whole life. And who cares if he hasn't been an offensive coordinator every year he's been in the NFL. He knows what he's doing, obviously, from last year. To just take the league by storm like that. No, and no doubt. I'm, like People could look at that and think, think it's a fluke. It's no fluke. Like... He turned that offense from a, a bad offense yeah. into a great offense, and he made players better. He made everyone better in that offense. My my question for you though is how big of a deal is it if Freddie Kitchens isn't what we expect him to be? So you're saying if he if he is kind of flops a little bit? Yeah. What if he's not? What if he's not a great coach? What if he's just average? Um, I mean that's tough to say. Um, I. Think the this team is talented enough that they can still get it done. Um, but to that point, um, you know, this this there's a it's a completely new coaching staff, not just Freddie Kitchens. We can that, we should even mention that um, Todd Munkin as the offensive coordinator, um, Steve Wilkes as the defensive coordinator. If they if those guys can't get it done, um, it's it'll, gonna it'll it's, definitely make it harder on Freddie. Right, and it's gonna lead to adversity, which I think could be dangerous considering the lack of experience and the youngness in our locker room. And the experience that he does not have with dealing with this type of stuff. Right. With that said, I do think Freddie Kitchen, I mean, he's a veteran. And with that said, also, you know, his entire staff, he hired a lot of you know, experience. experience. Steve Wilkes just came off a head coaching job, although albeit it not the best, well. uh, it's still after you know, just one season. It's still a head coaching job. Um, even down to like the special teams coordinator, the guys are experienced. They know what they're doing, um, and he has a lot of help. So with everyone saying, "Oh, he's a first year head coach. He's never been a head coach before," he's going to have all the help in the world yeah. with getting that job and doing it. Successfully. Like you mentioned, Mike Prefier, PFF had him listed as or had the Vikings defense and special teams listed as a top five the past couple of years. So he knows what he's doing. Wilkes has been a defensive coordinator in Arizona before he became the head coach. Monken was the offensive coordinator for the Buccaneers, and where you saw Mike Evans. Ryan Fitzpatrick's Patrick, breakout. You know. Chris Godwin, all of those guys. It was a lethal offense. The only thing holding him back, in my eyes, was Jameis Winston. Um, going back to Freddie... I don't think it's that big of a deal if he's average. You have the players. You have the good coordinators. Look what the Browns did with Greg Williams. Do you think Greg Williams was an amazing coach? 
Um, I don't necessarily think he's an amazing coach. He did a good job. He did he did a good job, but at some points it just really didn't look like he knew what he was doing, especially with play calling and challenging plays. The thing is about Freddie Kitchens is you look at, at coaching all over the place and you look at, you know, Steve Kerr, the Golden State Warriors, what he can do with a stacked roster. It makes any coach better. So Freddie Kitchens may be an average coach. He's going to look good, Especially I think, no matter. Especially when you have a leader like Baker Mayfield right. exactly. and experience mm-hmm. around you like Monken, Wilkes, and Prefier. All right. So let's get on to number three. So your John, number three was Baker Mayfield. My number three was Baker Mayfield. I didn't really have him in a necessarily particular order. But let's get to yours, which is different. My number three was the offensive line. And I think this is huge for multiple reasons. First of all, we have some new faces on the line, including big Austin Corbett. So with the Olivier Vernon trade, we swap Kevin Zeitler, who had a pretty similar contract. I think it was $14 million compared to... They were, they were both million. big yeah, contracts. Exactly. But Zeitler was one of the top right... Or, he was yeah he was yeah, one he of the top ranked offensive guards yeah no yeah right guard I was right he was top top ranked right guard in the league and he was a vital uh, player to our line success in the second half of the season last year I mean Baker Mayfield was barely pressured and that's why that's a big reason why he succeeded so much I, he had time to throw all of those touchdowns and you know here's the thing uh, the Browns had a great offensive line last year but that was largely in part. Due to the interior, you know, the center and the, the two guards. Yeah, the combination of Kevin Zeitler, J.C. Treader, and Joel Batonio was just unstoppable. Joel, Joel Batonio was a pro bowler. Zeitler was deserving, just as good. Yeah, deserving. And J.C. and J.C. Treader is one of the best centers in the league. Right. Um, with that said, I totally agree. We got some new pieces. Oh, yeah. Austin Corbett. So it's definitely going to be a little more shakier this year. With that said, too, uh, every. Thing John Dorsey has seemed to touch has turned to gold. You know, you you trade Carlos Hyde, and Nick Chubb comes out of nowhere and is looking like a budding star. I I I have faith that Austin Corbett can be a good player in this league. Yeah, I think that Austin Corbett could be good. He was the first pick of the second round of the 2018 NFL Draft. Uh, but I mean, even though Corbett's the number one person to get the job, it's not even his job. Uh, Dorsey signed a lot of depth to the offensive line this past offseason, including Brian Cush, who's another My guard center. Yeah, <laughs> he should have been sixty nine. Um, and then you have Brian Witzman, another tackle, and then Kendall Lamb, a tackle over from Houston, and that was a big signing. Even though Houston's line was absolutely horrendous last year, so I think it it's more than just Austin Corbett, especially Definitely. with like we haven't even str- talked about the, yeah, the the tackles. Yeah, the struggles with Chris Hubbard last year. Chris Hubbard was a struggle, and I mean, even Greg Robinson, who I think, you know, I have a lot of hope that he can be a good player. You know, he definitely struggled in his first couple of years in the league, but he was the number two pick in the he NFL He was the number draft. two pick for a reason. Right, exactly. He's, he's got all the physical tools. And um, and he, we finally got to see him put it together a little bit last but it's, season. But it's still a question mark that you have to say, and you got to say, all right, we still have Batonio, we still have Treader, but now you have three question marks on the offensive line. Exactly. You know, question marks are never a good thing, even if you feel confident. So that's why I did pick offensive line as my number three reason for success. Because, I mean, it could go really well for the Browns and they could luck out. Or it could go really bad and you'll see Baker Mayfield getting hit a lot, rushed really fast, and 
possibly getting hurt because he has no protection. The thing I will say about that and why I didn't personally put the offensive line on my top three biggest weaknesses is because if you really look at last year, Baker Mayfield was a master at getting the ball out quick. A lot of times, you know, they didn't even – another point to the offensive line is they didn't even need to, you know, do all that much sometimes. Now, with again – Baker Mayfield's a great rusher. He's great at uh, escaping the pocket. The play, escape, escaping the pocket. So I think all of that helps the offensive line, um, and ultimately why I didn't put it on my one of my biggest three. But I definitely I kinda, agree with some of those points. I, yeah, I kind of want to counter that a little bit though, just because of what we all saw with the Todd Haley offense last year. He had Baker Mayfield waiting way too long in the pocket with the ball, and. There was no time. You had uh, Desmond Harrison at left tackle, and he was just not Des- ready to Desmond play. Desmond Harrison wasn't committed to he, being a good yeah, football Yeah, and he wasn't ready to play. He was not and ready to play at all. You have an average line. You have Baker waiting for like five seconds back in the pocket, and you have some of the best rushers in the league coming against you, like TJ Watt. So you mentioned— It's, it's, it's not going to go well. So that's the one thing that scares me a little bit. All right. With that said, though— I think that whole offense under Todd Haley was yeah. not good. Or in Todd Haley and Hugh Jackson, we fired those guys at the same time. So once Freddie Kitchens took over, that offense completely changed, and that that wasn't the same. There was no more waiting around. Yeah, it no. was a fast-paced offense, and that's how the Browns thrived. And you could also attribute part of it to just Baker settling into the league. I mean, man, you got to be nervous when you're the number one pick in the draft. And you have all those expectations, and you come in, and it doesn't go that well. And once well. he started seeing a little bit of success, he totally you know, took it and ran with it. Mm-hmm. So, Jack, what do you think some weaknesses are on this team? Um, so, for my number one weakness, uh, I just said lack of experience. Um, Makes sense. We have a super young team. A lot of guys under 25 or 26 years old. A lot of guys that have never been in the play- The majority of our team has never been in the playoffs. Um with that said, uh, I do think that this team is equipped to take on the playoffs, and one reason that I think the Browns could definitely go far. Baker Mayfield, Odell, Jarvis, they all love winning. They're willing to put in the work. Um, but, but it's still something that works against them exactly, in the long run. Exactly. Anytime, it doesn't matter who you are, uh, not having experience is never a good thing. And, and the, the biggest thing that worries me about that is every team faces adversity. No matter who you are, no matter how well your football team is playing, Every team will face adversity at some point in the season, and if that gets into their mind, if they, if they, you know, if that, if they let that affect mm-hmm. their play style, that's something that you obviously, you know, you have um, to be careful of. Yeah, and another big thing with lack of experience that plays into this is none of these guys have played 17, 18 games in a season in the NFL, and a big part of that is knowing how to take care of your body, especially with players who get hurt often, like Denzel Ward or Odell Beckham Jr. I'm not saying that they're injury-prone, but, I mean, they have had consistent injuries throughout their career. So just knowing how to take care of your body and how to, to sort of just stretch it out because we all know football is a hard-hitting game. Right, and a perfect example for that is how Denzel Ward this offseason has kind of worked on his tackling style. You know, that's something that he didn't know. He got a concussion from right, it. Right, and, and it took him out. And, that, and he'll still probably face, you know, he'll learn new things this season. I hope I hope he can stay healthy, but, you know, he'll, he'll definitely learn how to take care of himself better. Um, but that's a good point. Mm-hmm. And that was your number one. It was my number three, but I emphasized it was lack of, of experience within the secondary, especially you have uh, Denzel Ward, who's who, who's in his second season, right. the Warden, 
and then you have Greedy Williams coming in. Um, yeah, he's a rookie, expected to start, but you do have Terrence Mitchell also fighting. And for coming the from LSU, who didn't really, you yeah, know, they didn't. They were they didn't, a top they, team that was like never went to the playoffs. Right. I mean, they were in big bowl games, but still, there's. I mean, the NFL is a whole different thing. Exactly. And then um, at safety, you have Demarius Randall, who still is pretty young. He's in his fifth year. He's in his fifth year. Yeah. You know, but still. He's been to the playoffs. He's been to the playoffs, playoffs, but you know, it's they haven't made it necessarily far. And I don't think he started either because remember, and he wasn't had, at safety yeah, too. Yeah, exactly. So so he was at a cornerback position. Completely different. And then you go to the person with actual with actually the most playoff experience on our team, Morgan Burnett. He is penciled in to be the starting strong safety on the team, but you also have players like Jermaine Whitehead and Eric Murray knocking on the door. Murray, who we got for Emmanuel Ogba, and Tremaine Whitehead, who we signed off of waivers last year. And Whitehead was one of the biggest standouts in OTAs and minicabs. Additionally, really Morgan Burnett yeah. is, like, the weakest link in the secondary, too. He is. He's super old. Like, if, if Denzel Ward was the guy that was was the veteran, I'd feel a lot better about this. But, you know, is Morgan Burnett really going to be, even though he has experience, is he really going to be that big of a difference maker? He's played 11 seasons in the NFL. Right. Your body doesn't... Exactly. Do that well after that time you lose so, speed and power. I agree, but that that all goes into lack of experience. So I definitely agree within the secondary. Um, so what was your number one? My number one weakness was defensive line depth. So we talked about how the defensive line was one of our biggest factors of success, but I also think it's one of the places that could fall apart the fastest. You have Miles Garrett who didn't play a lot of his rookie season, and Olivier Vernon, who also gets hurt a lot. That's why the Giants fans didn't like him. They're paying him to sit on the sideline half the season. I mean, even if players aren't getting hurt, you still need depth on your defensive line. It takes a lot of power to be rushing against 300-pound offensive linemen for 50% of the game even. I mean, Miles Garrett played like 90% of the snaps last year, which is absolutely insane considering how big of a person he is. Right. Um, and right, that's the thing is like even if one piece goes down, yeah, that could be big. Yeah, the Browns line gets so much like worse when exactly. one player gets down. If if you take out Vernon, for example, Chad Thomas is playing. Chad Thomas has not played an NFL snap to this date. Yeah, that's <laughs> clearly a concern. Yeah, um, and then your other backup is Chris Smith who's just an average NFL role player. Yeah. And then you go on the inside, and if you're... Uh, that gets even more cloudy. Yeah, that, this gets right. even worse. So let's say Joby goes down. Your backup is Trayvon Coley, who the Browns tried to start last year, but that did not go well Wasn't at all. was a great all. experiment. Exactly. And so that's the thing is, like, I mean, best case scenario, you stay healthy. You know, okay, a guy misses a couple games. Worst case scenario, what if... Two of these dudes go down. Then you're, then you're in. That's deep where your line trouble. goes bad, and that's where and the rest of your defense tries to make run, up for that. The run exactly. starts getting uh-huh. bad, and then the, that affects that, the secondary, that, and, and then it just turns trickles into last down. Year. Exactly. Um, and that's also a place where a sign like Gerald McCoy would have helped. Which, I mean, look, I think all Browns fans kind of secretly wanted Gerald McCoy, um, but. And now we don't. <laughs> right, wink, now we wink. don't because we're salty. But, um, but yeah, it definitely would have helped for depth. That was kind of the biggest reason why I wanted him. Um, 
it would have been great for depth, especially with a young player like Ogunjobi. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah, what's your second? So my second biggest weakness is uh, the safety-slash-offensive line chemistry, um, which kind of— We talked about the we, offensive line chemistry. We talked a lot about it a little bit. What about um, your safety chemistry? But safety chemistry, right. So it's, you know, you got the, the Demarius question. Randall is dialed in. He's not penciled in. He's cemented in to start. He's cemented in. Um, but you got a couple new guys. You got Greedy Williams, like we mentioned. You got Morgan Burnett, Jermaine Whitehead. Jermaine Whitehead was on the roster last year, but still. It's, You're talking he, about the safeties. The safeties. Well, the whole secondary in general. Yeah. But, you know, they're guys that haven't necessarily played a lot with each other. Um, same with the offensive line, all these new pieces. Um, and just chemistry in general, honestly, on the team, um, you know, it's we're, we might come out of the season, you know, not at full full speed. I think, you know, some teams might get off hot. I wouldn't necessarily be super surprised to see the Browns maybe lose a game that we should have won in the beginning of the season. But with that said, I think once this thing gets rolling, we could be unstoppable. Stoppable. Exactly, and I really agree, especially with the secondary chemistry. You have uh, Randall locked in, but then. You're also pulling a player like uh, TJ Carryback, who's not so needed in the corner room anymore, to play nickel options and safety options. Um, plus, you just have three guys competing for the strong safety role. Eric Murray, who barely played in Kansas City. Uh, Jermaine Whitehead, who's just been a practice squad player his whole life. Exactly. And old Bur- Grandpa Burnett, dude. <laughs> Morgan Burnett. <laughs> Morgan Burnett. So, yeah, I mean, these guys have not played together before. You're adding essentially two new starters to the secondary. So, I mean, it could go both ways. All right, so what's your number two weakness? My number two weakness is lack of head coaching experience. And we talked about this previously with Freddie Kitchens. But just the fact that, one, I mean, last year at the beginning of the year, he was a running backs coach. And then he went to offensive coordinator. And I said it doesn't worry me, but there still are, like, factors that he hasn't experienced. And he's actually starting off the schedule with a very tough opponent in the tight ends. And then you go and play the Rams. You play the uh, 49ers with Jimmy G. You go and play in Denver, and that's not easy. So, I mean, he has a very hard schedule to start off with, and... It's not going to be something that's easy uh, as a first-year head coach, especially when you were barely even an offensive coordinator. So that's definitely something that's going to be hard, but it's something that I think Freddie could deal with and handle like really well. About the schedule, the Browns actually have one of the easier schedules, but like you mentioned, like the first half, the first is, half, half is, is tough. very hard. All our, our the second half will the kind second of be half smoother, sets us up for the playoffs, which is really nice. And I think that's actually kind of, that could actually play into the. The coaching the coach's hands because they get through the hard stuff that you know they go through boot camp and then Man, then you they're co- smooth sailing from there you know what I mean they're gonna be even more prepared to take on that second half just, exactly if you go four and two through your first six games that's that's good exactly like, yeah. exactly and you get Kareem Hunt back week 10 fresh parallel yeah week exactly. 10 because we have our first eight games by week week nine so if you go through that what five and three six and two yeah, you're walking. You're that. walking easy that. through that second half of the schedule. Right. You could easily get to ten, eleven wins, but uh, yeah. And then lack of head coaching experience, just with all of the new head coaches. You have Freddie Kitchens, Todd Monken, uh, Steve Wilkes, and Mike Preffier. Just tr- all of them like 
is trying to work together. It doesn't glue immediately, and it's just not going to happen in training camp, especially with Monken's new offense. You did mention there, there's been some reports that Monken Monken, has had a little bit of struggle. A a slow start uh, initiating his offense with the team. I don't don't know big of a deal that is. Yeah. Um, just from my perspective, just because it's going to be a complex offense, you know, a huge passing offense, a fast offense, it's a fast offense. It's going to be complex, and they're super early into the season. I think we're kind of making it. A yeah, bit I, I mean, those reports did come out in June, but the thing that worries me is Freddie Kitchens having to take his head coaching time and go help out Monken. You really want Freddie Kitchens to be able to just do his thing and lead the team. And I do think it, though it scares me a little bit that working together, um, all coaches working together, um, is a good thing rather than just doing their own. Um, and I think that's one thing I like about the Browns is that the GM, the head coach, all of those guys work together as one unit rather than a lot of teams you see you know feuds between the the, the front office and the the coaching and the team and it's just uh-huh. makes no sense. Like the you, Eagles, you want to you want to be like one unit that makes zero sense to me. So I love that about the Browns. Yeah, and again, it's our trust in Dorsey. We believed in him to hire the best people at the best position that he thought could work the best together. And just a final closing statement, I I, I didn't put that on my list of biggest weaknesses um, because I have a weird feeling that Freddie Kitchens is going to work out just fine. And maybe that's me being a Browns fan. It, I mean, it 100% is me being a Browns fan, but anytime I see like a, a sports analyst, Stephen A. Smith, talk about oh Freddie Kitchens is unproven Freddie Kitchens this Freddie Kitchens that I'm I just feel like he's the perfect personality out of what I've seen like he's the perfect guy for this job the perfect fit all right let's talk about some more NFL news not regarding the Browns right now Melvin Gordon top running back in the league today just requested a trade or a contract extension with a a very big pay raise. He basically said he's sitting out camp if he doesn't get uh, a new contract. He wants to be one of the top paid guys up there with Todd Gurley, Le'Veon Bell. David Johnson. David Johnson. Yeah, so currently Melvin Gordon is making $5.6 million. So that ranks at 11th in the NFL. Um, he's ranking behind guys like Devonta Freeman, Jarek McKinnon. And ahead of guys like Deion Lewis, Christian McCaffrey, who will also see a big pay raise in the future. But do you think Melvin Gordon should be the 11th highest paid running back, or do you think he should be higher, lower? I mean, talent-wise, I definitely think he's a top 11 running back in the NFL. You can't—I I don't think I could argue against that. He's proven he's been consistent. He's proven that he's one of the best rushers in the league. I think he's a phenomenal talent. And he's great in fantasy, too. And he's great in fantasy, of course. We always love fantasy on this show. But um, but overall, and Todd Gurley also made a statement that goes along with this point about the, you know, how... Getting paid. NFL, yeah, exactly, getting paid. And this is what this whole, you know, dispute between Melvin Gordon and the Chargers is about, is he wants to get paid. And overall, um, I do think, you know, I could see Melvin Gordon getting a bigger contract. I think it, he's worth it, but... With that said, I do think guys have a, a little bit of a you know unrealistic idea of what they're getting paid. They're worth exactly. So I have a question for you. Do you think the Chargers are paying the wrong Melvin? As in and, Melvin Ingram? And what I'm saying, yeah, Melvin Ingram is the second highest paid player on their team. He's making 17 million this upcoming year. 
Last year, as a defensive end outside linebacker combo, he had 43 tackles, seven sacks, one forced fumble, and one interception in six in all 16 games. So Melvin Ingram is a, a good player. I um, think he's a great player. He's a great player, but um, you know, impact wise, who has a bigger impact on that team? I would say Melvin Gordon, especially um, with offense and a good running back. But but here's the thing. I think you can find value, and like we talked about on the, the last show, back you can theory. find value at the, on, on, at the running back anywhere. And they have guys, um, Austin Eckler, Austin who is Eckler's pretty solid. Austin Eckler's a great backup, yeah. And uh, Justin Jackson, I think is his name. Yeah. And he was he's solid, too. Um, it's a system that works, not the running back. Yeah, you can make an argument. I do think Melvin Gordon's a phenomenal talent. No, he is, no he is great, him. and that and that's why he makes their offense look so much better because he's a great running back compared to right. He's a great back. running back, but is he worth you know breaking the bank a little bit for? It's it's a question you have to ask yourself, and it it, it depends on the front office. Yeah, I would definitely pay him nine million dollars a year. That's not a big deal to me. I agree. I would pay him too. Um, but you have contracts also going up with running backs, reaching over $14 million a year in upcoming years with Le'Veon Bell. So would you pay him top dollar, like $14 million a year? That's tough. Um, and that's just his position developing with the league and the salary cap. It's slowly rising and getting higher. I, w- I personally, you know, I would pay him. He's getting up there in age, which makes me a little bit hesitant to give him a and super long-term contract. He was out for contract. last year, too. He's, he's 26. But overall, I'm confident in that Melvin Gordon would be a stud, even if you you know, if you know extended him you know, four or five years. Mm-hmm. Um, I would definitely. I, I, I would top out at $14 million. Yeah, $14 million is I a good think, number. I think I he's that. definitely worth it. Um, you don't want to lose a player like that. He's absolutely electric in their offense. And he just works so he well. He makes everyone better. Yeah. yeah. Uh-huh. And it just takes pressure off the wide receivers and everything. So, um, But one thing that I think you did bring up was Todd Gurley. Addition, yeah, some more news is Todd Gurley kind of came Ch- out and Chimed spoke, in on the situation. Chimed in on the situation. And he, and he said the pay gap between NFL and NBA is ridiculous. Basically what he said, it's not fair. I want to bring up a couple quick stats about that because we have some strong opinions on that. So the NFL grosses about $15 billion in annual revenue per year. Um, that makes it the king of sports, at least in the U.S. Yeah. And, you know, the NBA, who he directly quoted, they only bring in about $7.4 billion, um, which is still a lot. But, you know... It's, it's half. It's half, right. So you're saying, you're saying you know... Why, why aren't the if NFL they're making double double the billion? Right. Why aren't they getting paid as much, if not more? Here's the thing: an NFL roster has 53 people. Thank you. All right. An NBA team only has to roster 15 players, and they don't even have to do that if they want. You see, with these teams, they sign these G League players on two way contracts and give them league vet minimums. Players need to learn how much they can make before they start talking. All right. Todd Gurley talks about how he leads the league in touchdowns, and then a player in the NBA that he can't even pronounce his name is making more than him. You got to do the research first before you come and you know call people out like that. You're never going to make that much money because you have there's 52 other guys that you're there's, splitting that money exactly, with the budget exactly. with. And let's take a look at the NBA and who's making equivalent. This is an interesting yeah. stat. Yeah. So 
Melvin Gordon currently, which will probably not last for that much long, is making five point six million this year. The person in the NBA that is making five point six million dollars is Dwight Howard, and he's the hundred and eighty ninth highest played player in the team, uh, and, and in the league. My bad. And other guys around that, just to put that in perspective, uh-huh. Mo Bamba, Mo Bamba, Patrick Patterson. You know, guys that Hood. a casual fan yeah, might not even know. Exactly. And then you have players like Jarrett Culver making 5.8. He hasn't played a second in the NBA. He just got drafted, and that's his rookie contract. R.J. Barrett, granted he was the number two pick, is making 7.9. Exactly. Like that's that's Or our own Darius Garland, who's making 6.4. He played four games in college. That's all higher <laughs> yeah. than Melvin Gordon, who's one of the top ten, arguably top seven running backs in the NFL. Exactly. So... If you're looking at, if you're looking at it like that, is an unfair, absolutely. But that's why you're just looking at it like that. When you really and break it down, down, it makes it makes sense. no sense. Exactly. Well, it makes sense. Well, it makes sense from this perspective, the, the yeah. data's perspective, but not from the player's perspective. perspective. And obviously, players want to be making their bread, and I don't blame them for complaining about not getting their worth. But it's just really how that league breaks down the nfl has an 167 million dollar salary cap compared to the nba which has an 109 million dollar salary cap for 15 players right what is that that's like 59 million less no my math yeah my math is right uh that's 59 million less quick but that's <laughs> quick mass but that's a shout out big shack but um <laughs> that's split be- between 15 players instead of 53 and um, NBA teams can go over that. Their luxury tax is $132 million. Shout out Cavs. I, we all know you're paying that. Um, but yeah, NBA teams have a lot of flexibility with it too. So that's why you see players like Steph Curry making $40 million. Russell Westbrook, well, Chris Paul. Paul making $38 million. LeBron. And then players like that making $44 million in the future. That's why there's a the big difference. Exactly. And especially if you're not playing the quarterback position, you're not going to get the biggest bucks, all right? Exactly. Mm-hmm. All right, so moving on, big event in Cleveland this weekend. Oh, yeah. All-Star Game weekend. All-Star Game, uh, definitely the highlight of the summer. I think Cleveland really lucked out in many ways. Uh, the MLB did a great job in running it, and, and Cleveland, Cleveland did, did a, a great, great job in hosting it. Cleveland lucked out with the weather, man. It was so nice downtown, and it was a great event, um, real tearjerker, honestly. Um, but yeah, one of the biggest events was the home run derby, which was absolutely insane. Everyone loves the home run derby. Pack Stadium, they had a flyover before the game, which was awesome, and just some young studs in the in the derby. That was the biggest thing that I kind of took away from it. You had two rookies in a, a sophomore with Ronald Acuna. I mean, there was some young talent on display. Yeah, and they, they were all in the final four. Right. It was uh-huh. they they showed out too exactly. Um, and I think the person everyone likes talking about, Vlad Guerrero Jr., yeah. who broke the record for home runs in a round. <laughs> Most uh, first-round home runs with At 29. Right. Uh-huh. So, yeah, Vlad started off the first round with 29. And then you have Acuna come up, and he hits 25 in the first round, and which is three less than the record. Right. That's amazing. Like, if, if Vlad doesn't hit 29, people are talking about that all over the news. Oh, yeah, that's right. that's definitely the biggest thing. And then you have players who are even more shaded, like young Jock Peterson, who at 21 to win over Bragman. And Peter Alonzo, who 
didn't have the greatest first round. He kept he kept building on his performances round after round yeah, and ended up winning exactly. the derby. Peter Alonso, even though he did not hit that many home runs, he did have to come from behind every single round and make a comeback walk-off home run win. So Peter Alonso did get by with 14 home runs compared to our hometown hero, Carlos Santana. But um, Carlos didn't have a great showing. No, it wasn't good to see, but it was, I mean, it's it was fun. nice. It's to all fun and games. Yeah, exactly. I mean, is it fun and games, though, when the prize was a million dollars? I mean, maybe to the rookies. It's yeah, to the rookies, games, especially think, Pete Alonso, who's making $500,000 a year. Um, let's move on to the second round. This was definitely the best part. That made it arguably one of the best home run derbies in the history of home run derbies uh, with Jock Peterson and Vlad Guerrero Jr. So a triple overtime? Oh, quadruple overtime? Triple overtime. Triple overtime. Vlad Jr. comes out and electrifies the stadium with 29 home runs. All right, everybody's like, oh, Jock Peterson, there's he, no did, way. he did really well, but there's, <laughs> there's absolutely no, no way. way that he comes back. Guess what he does? He ties him. <laughs> he comes out and ties him, which nobody expected. Nobody saw coming. So the MLB does a one-minute swing-off. Vlad comes out, tears it up again, starts off really hot like he does every round, and then cooled down, but still finished with 37, all right? So he hits eight in the one in one minute. Yeah, eight. Which is pretty. Eight in one minute. Pretty good. Yeah. So everybody's like, okay, Jack Peterson's so done right now. But guess what he does? He comes out. He comes back yet again. <laughs> answers. Yep, eight home runs. So everybody's like, what happens now? Like, are there even rules for this? Like, it's the home run derby. Because like, nobody's how serious seen can this, this be? before. Exactly. There are rules, but uh-huh. nobody's seen this. Especially like with this being a somewhat new format. Right. So they do a three-pitch contact hitoff. Vlad comes out and hits one home run. And everybody's like, okay, this is kind of hard. Jock could either like literally just hit zero, or he could come out swinging and totally win this right here. Jock hits one. Right, and they go in. No, I was right. They go yeah. into quadruple. Quadruple overtime. overtime. Vlad comes out and hits two. Jock hits one in his first two. Is getting all powered up to hit last one, and just doesn't. It was sad because I mean you really wanted to see it. They both deserved it. They both deserved it. I'm glad to see Vlad win. Yeah, I, I, I. But I came in cheering for Vlad, but honestly, I, I love to see Jock just totally rake like that. It was awesome. Yeah, I mean, anytime there's a there's a competition like that, you love to see. And it. then that round, uh, your boy Pete Alonso hit 20 home runs to beat Acuna's 19, and Acuna also did look a little tired. Which was a little disappointing considering yeah. he hit 25 yeah. in that first round. Exactly, but he, he definitely did look a little tired. Um, but I think the most impressive part about that is how he just sprayed the ball to all fields. His 20 home runs, he I think he only pulled two of them. It was absolutely insane how he was just taking them to right field and center field. And Showed off his power exactly. in his start. Like, he's going to be yeah, a star. Yeah, he's going to be a star. I mean, he right. already is a star, dude. I mean, he started in center field with the All-Star game. Right. So let's go to the finals, which wasn't as... It wasn't the Jack Peterson Vlad yeah, showdown. Yeah, exactly, but. but it was still good. Vlad was visibly tired. He was totally gassed out. That was the one thing that was 22. the one downside about that. It was disappointing. That. I mean, you want to see him come out and just totally rake again, but he didn't. And then uh, Alonzo walked it off and hit 23 and won his million dollars. 
And also, thank you, Pete Alonzo. You're a good guy. He donated 10% of his win winnings, 5% to Wounded Warriors and 5% to another. And he didn't even have to do that, especially with his rookie contract. Good so. for you, Polar Bear. Um, yeah, but to put it in perspective, Vlad hit a total of 91 home runs and Pete hit 67. Right, which, and I think that's kind of where people are like, they're a little disappointed that. And angry with the system. And angry with the system. But it's a bracket. That's how it works. It's how it works. It's tough. Um, but it is what it is. All right, so we're going to do some quick news here. First of all, with the NBA, today, Russell Westbrook was traded to the Rockets for CP3. They acquired two first rounders, one in 2024 and one in 2026. Those are like sixth graders. Uh, <laughs> it's kind of crazy yeah. to think about that. Like, uh -huh. There's like a seventh grader out here who's yeah. like, oh, damn, Russell Westbrook. And he doesn't <laughs> even know that he's part of that trade. So. Exactly. And then you have pick swaps in 21 and 23. Wait, what would a uh, class of 23 is Brownie, and he was in eighth grade this year. So class of 26 would be... Would that be a sixth grader or a fifth grader? Fifth grader? Yeah, he got fifth or sixth. Yeah, yeah, fifth Whatever. or sixth grader, exactly. <laughs> That's just it's crazy in itself. So is is Russ really that bad that he got traded for a fifth grader? <laughs> sure. I think the question is, are you smarter than a fifth grader? Dun dun dun. <laughs> um, no, but Russell Westbrook, um I that's an interesting move. You know, you see all I love I love the move. From the Rockets' perspective, or from yeah, from the Rockets' perspective, not, actually, I think it's a great trade both ways. The Thunder in obvious rebuilding mode, trading Paul George for five first-round picks and then two swaps, and then you go out and trade Russ. I mean, you're not you you obviously weren't going to win with Russ and Paul George, so I think it's a great move. Here's the by thing, Sam Presti. Right, I love that move too because they got picks out of it. And then, uh, and additionally, they they might flip CP3 and get even more. Yeah, and get more picks. Exactly. Uh, it was rumored that Miami was uh, interested in him. That'd be interesting. Chris Paul and Jimmy Butler, two of the biggest toxic people in the NBA. Going, I mean, I guess maybe it's also a big win for James Harden because he won't have Chris Paul around making fun of his man boobs anymore. Yeah, that that definitely Reported probably by, plays with your by emotions. Barry McCockner and Skip Bayless. Right. Thank, Big, you, thank you, Skip. Verified sources. Mm -hmm. yeah. yeah, but let's talk more about the picks that they got. All right. Okay, see, so it's stacked. Yeah. Looking forward. Yeah, they got, since draft night, they've gotten eight first-rounders. And then you total all of their picks there, picks from Miami. Yeah, dude, they have picks from Miami, and they could get more from Miami in the future if they trade up Chris Paul. And then they got one right. from Denver on draft night. So now, through 2026... Shout out to you, fifth grader, who's going to get drafted. They have 15 first-rounders. 15 first-rounders in the next... That's a whole roster. Seven years, is that? Yeah. That's ridiculous. That's a whole lot of guys getting paid. Todd so, Gurley. <laughs> <laughs> so, well, that's definitely... Uh, they're going to have to go through some tough years, and we'll see that. But, you know, I think it's going to be worth it because they're going to have a whole slew of picks. They're going to be... They could be like the next Celtics how they still have picks coming in. And Sam Presti's a great gem. I mean, you saw what he did with the Supersonics. You got to get Durant, you get Westbrook, you get Harden. You get Ibaka. Yeah, Ibaka. It was just the fallout that killed them. Yeah, it was just tough. Mm -hmm. So we're going to end the night on some special news. Ladies and gentlemen, we got him. 
Ladies and gentlemen, he came back into the ice cream store. The man himself is and back. what did he get, Jack? A vanilla milkshake. He got another vanilla milkshake, guys. But our producer, who is our inside source, did let us know that he was looking very fresh, even colder than the ice cream. Dressed in a full Virgil outfit. He was, he was looking a lot better, which... You love to see it. I, I like to see yeah, yeah, Jackson yeah. succeeding in life. Yeah, fresh jumpsuit. He's got the ice and driving the. Bench. I think he. I think he heard our podcast last week and he's like, "I need to he step up my did. game." Yeah, bit. he's got to step up his game. He's right. got to. He's got to rewrite these words. But sticking to the vanilla milkshake, it's a little disappointing. Again, Hugh. Come on. Again, come on, dude. Come on, dude. All right. I think that's gonna end it for us tonight. Thank you again, Jack, for coming on the show. It's always a pleasure having you. I love being on it. And thank you all for listening. We're going to bring our producer Matt on for a special message. What's up, guys? Big thank you if you guys made it this far and for listening to the Hottest Take Sports Podcast presented by Sib Sports. You can find this on iTunes, uh, Google Play, or on your favorite podcasting app. Uh, Make sure you hit the subscribe button and stay updated with our weekly show. Also, make sure you rate the show and leave any feedback that you may have. You guys can also submit beats for the beginning intro of our podcast uh, in our DMs on Twitter at jashkar23, at mrosie29, or at jvandy921. And we'll pick our favorite ones and put them at the beginning and shout you out. And thanks again for listening, and we'll see you next time.